Grandma. How you doing? I'm doing good. This is producer Mia Fask and her grandmother, Skye. Yes, I wanted to ask you about your story. It was really a fun story. <laughs> Great cocktail material, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Over the holiday break, Skye listened to a couple episodes of our show and reminded Mia that she has her own travel story, one that's become pretty infamous in their family. This happened a couple decades ago when Skye was, quote, between husbands. I was sitting in my seat on the plane, minding my own business, when this man came up to me and bent down so that he was at eye level with me. A security agent was called to her plane when a piece of luggage started shaking on board. They delayed their takeoff, checked the tags, and tracked down the owner of the convulsing suitcase, which of course was Mia's grandma. And he said, do you have any mechanical instruments in your luggage? And I said, no. And then I thought a minute and I said, yes, I have my, oh my God. What's the name of the thing I have? A vibrator. Oh, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) So I whispered into his ear, yes, I have a vibrator. And he said, well, you're going to need new batteries when we land. (laughs) And we both laughed. (laughs) But that's just one of my all-time favorite stories, because you could just play it off like it's a toothbrush, but you decided to tell him, you know, straight up, it's a vibrator. It never occurred to me to say it was a toothbrush. (laughs) I never lie. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I can attest to that. (laughs) And also, I have an electric toothbrush in each place, so I wouldn't be carrying it in my luggage. So in a situation where most people would just shrivel up into a ball of white-hot embarrassment, Skye just laughed it off because that's the type of person she is. That's just how she interacts with the world. On today's episode, we're hearing from people sharing their own distinct vantage points, the places they found themselves in, and the ways they face their problems. Some of these stories might make you reconsider the often overlooked difficulties other people go through while traveling, or give you a newfound sense of empathy, or maybe even help reassure you that, hey, you are not alone out there. I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Explorers. Oh my God. Before any of this, used to work at Lips Restaurant downtown, and I would take the train down, and I would just do my drag makeup on the train. I mean, I would get some looks, but I didn't care. <laughs> if you are familiar at all with drag culture, you definitely know Peppermint. I haven't, haven't been on this train in a while. <laughs> she was the first openly trans woman to compete on RuPaul's Drag Race. She's released several albums, had a lead role in a Broadway musical, and has been a performing icon in New York City for decades. But she also devotes so much of her time and talent to advocate for the trans community in the drag world and all over the world. Personally, it's easy for me to forget how easy it is for someone like me to travel and how many things I take for granted every time I do something as simple as stepping into an airport. We are truly honored to have Peppermint come on to talk a little bit about the complicated, frustrating, and at times heartbreaking reality of traveling as a trans woman. Here's her story. So the first time I 
realized something had changed was traveling to Latvia and had to connect in Moscow, Russia. And I was a couple of years into my medical transition, but never really thought that it was that important for me to take it at any pace other than my own. And so when I got to Moscow, our plane had been delayed. So there was probably like an hour to transfer, you know, from one flight to the next and connect. And the airport in Moscow is humongous, which I didn't know for the first time. Everyone's running towards the connection desk. And I showed her my passport, which wasn't updated with my real name and with a current picture. Well, the name matched on my document. That wasn't really an issue. But the photograph was just something, I guess she couldn't believe that me as a human, whoever I am, could have long hair and also short hair in a picture. But nevertheless, I was detained and I very nearly missed my flight. The only way that I was able to get through was I had to basically start to remove articles of clothing until she thought that it was sufficiently humiliating enough to teach me a lesson. Then finally, I had to remove my hair, which is like, I guess, the satisfaction she needed to begrudgingly let me through. And that was quite humiliating. I can't say that I'm faced with an immense amount of violence and discrimination every time I leave my house. But I do carry a certain anxiety with me that I'm always on high alert and guard. You know, no matter who's traveling for what, time is always an issue, you're stressed. But I think for trans people, the added layer of the authority figures, knowing that there's so much at stake, whether or not you can get on the flight, whether or not you can get into the airport, whether or not they'll give you your bags if they found their bag. And sometimes the notion that someone might be trans is enough for people to investigate and assume that they're doing other things illegally or wrong. And so I remember I landed at JFK internationally and I'd gotten my bags and I was coming home, leaving the baggage area, got ready to go through customs. And the customs officer stopped me and wanted to go through my suitcase and my luggage to see what I had. And, you know, this was prior to my medical transition, so I wasn't necessarily visibly trans, but I was certainly extremely obviously queer and visibly queer. And so the border officer opened up and he found all of the private things that you would find in someone's suitcase. You know, was asking me about my underwear and why do I have this kind of underwear. I was like really interested in my underwear and asking me all kinds of questions about what I like to dress as. It was like becoming very inappropriate and very uncomfortable. And I was afraid because this is a person who has a gun in front of me, you know. But I tried to stand up for myself a little bit. And I was like, you know, if you think that I've done something illegal, then let's go ahead and go down that path. And then he was asking me about my nails. He wanted to, like, look at my hands and hold my hands and look under my nails and say, you know, some people smuggle 
cocaine under their nails? Well, how much cocaine are you smuggling under your nails? Enough for one person to do once? And so it was, um, it was upsetting to say the least. <laughs> Each instance that I've been in like this, I really do take on a sort of individual basis. You know, I don't necessarily generalize, but I just think that this person was ignorant. This person was rude. I give everyone the benefit of the doubt, but I can tell where it's going pretty quickly. You can follow someone's body language, their tone of voice, just like they're probably trained to read passengers' body languages and tone of voice. And I think queer people, because of some of the, what their experiences, can sometimes develop an extra sense of what's going on around them, being able to read their surroundings. And trans people, definitely. Which is a shame because, you know, I shouldn't have to be in a situation that's so dangerous. But, you know, since we now know that 2020 is the deadliest year on record for trans individuals, mostly trans women of color in this country and worldwide, maybe I'm not crazy. You know, I would say 10 years ago, someone being trans was just a personal issue. It wasn't something that was on the books. There weren't any provisions, any, there probably was zero mention of it in, you know, the handbooks or the training in terms of airport personnel and travel people. And so obviously that has changed. I remember one of the major sort of points of contention was the dreaded body scanner, which nobody wants to be going through no body x-ray scanner. But... Being trans, it felt like a anyone, it feels like a violation. And so if you had genitalia that didn't match what they expected, then all of a sudden you are now susceptible and a subject to whatever prejudices and whatever thoughts they personally have that they don't even talk about on the job. However they personally feel is how you're going to get treated. Even when they got rid of that level of detail, the machines were still detecting uh, transgender bodies as anomalies, you know? There's something wrong with this person's genitalia. They're an anomaly. And it automatically, it just by default meant all trans people who went through that thing needed to be patted down and run through the thing and hand-searched, and maybe even more. If you're trans, you have to. we should be able to distinguish between someone who just has a body and someone who has a bomb or a dangerous weapon or something like that, you know? And some of us, our bodies are our dangerous weapon, and I get it. <laughs> you can find Peppermint's new album, A Girl Like Me, Letters to My Lovers, on all the platforms, and give her a follow at Peppermint247 on Instagram, keep up with all her new projects. Links to both are in our description. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, an interview with the always entertaining Lele Pons. Stick around. At 24 years old, Lele Pons has already found a lifetime of success. She's a certified platinum recording artist, actress, novelist, and has hundreds of millions of followers across social media. But Lele's also been disarmingly open about her own personal life, 
releasing a docu-series earlier this year chronicling her daily struggles with OCD and Tourette's with a sense of transparency and vulnerability you just don't usually see from the influencer crowd. She has a new podcast on Spotify called Best Kept Secret, where she puts that unwavering honesty to good use, helping strangers deal with their often salacious problems. She dialed into our show to talk about her love of Italy, how her own mental health issues can make traveling even more difficult, and then she was even nice enough to help some of her own callers deal with their very weird and very wild travel problems. Here's our call. So, Lele, uh, one thing I want to ask you about right off the bat that I think is so interesting is um, I read about your affinity for crocodiles and alligators, and I love that because yeah. they're one of my favorite animals too. I think it's because I grew up watching <laughs> so much Peter Pan and Hook. Uh, I guess it has to do with you know, like when people say like whatever happens to you when you're like five is something sticks to you. Yeah, your five first years of your life will define something in the future. Like, so I guess when I was five, I used to live in a farm next to them, so I used. To be obsessed i was like wow what is that i'm just like looking at them i'm so close to them it's like the thrill of being with an alligator or crocodile i've been obsessed with since i was like a child so i also read that your father will get baby alligators and put them in a pool and you'll swim with them yeah and in miami i used to do that when i was like in middle school high school it was uh it was pretty intense yeah i feel like most people would find that uh kind of borderline terrifying no, they could. They can get your finger off the little ones. I just know how to handle them and like touch them and like where to get them and like how to grab them and where to grab them. When was the last time you were able to swim with an alligator? <laughs> uh, a week ago. No way, really? Yeah, in Miami, I went to this place. It's called the Post, the Everglades Post, and that's where I went. That's so fun. You are a true enthusiast here. I know. I know. There's an alligator right there. So aside from just any place with an alligator, what is your ideal travel destination? My favorite place in the world is Italy. It has everything. It just really does have everything, Italy. It just has like Capri, who's like more of the beach side, Rome, who's like antique, and Venice. I mean, there's not just one place. Napoli, the food is better than any, any other place, and I can, I've been everywhere. I feel like a lot of people I know that go to Italy will just go, and it's hard to see everything, right? But they'll just go to Rome and then just stay there. But, you know, much, a lot like, you know, the United States, when you go to different places in Italy, they are so different. Some of them might as well be different countries, right? That's why I like it. But when you think of France, in my case, I think of Paris, you know? Yeah. That place. When I think of, this is my case, when I think of Italy, I think of Milan. I think of Milan. Okay. I think of, um, Venice, I think of Rome, I think of Florence, I think of Napoli, Capri. You know, there's like six places you think about that are so different. I love it over there. It's my favorite place. You know, we definitely like focus on fun and telling travel stories and giving tips. But I do want to say that one thing I, I really do admire about you is how open you are about some of your struggles with with mental health and how, how willing you are to be vulnerable with that side of your life. And you've done, you know, your mini-series and, and you've covered this a lot and you've been really open about it. As far as traveling with everyday struggles with OCD mm -hmm. and Tourette's, what challenges have you found? What I don't like about traveling is the plane. Mm -hmm. And the plane has triggered me in many ways and I think it triggers a lot of people because you're sitting for nine hours, right? 
and it gets to a point that I've had moments where the person next to me has been like, can you please stop like moving? You're so annoying. What's your deal? And it's either because I, I'm like, you know, taking or either because I'm having a, an OCD moment. Right. I have to touch some stuff. I need to feel comfortable. I have, you know, and also like I have to move. Also have anxiety. Like, so, so that for me is the worst. Yeah. It's a tough situation, right? Because you can't really just like lay your life story out on someone next to you on an airplane, but at the same time, I don't do like, that. I can't do that. I'm sorry, I have a Tourette's and I have this, and this is why I move. Like, I'm sorry, you're stuck with me. What I do is I try to do the exercises and the exposures that my therapist gave me. And if not, I do drink sleeping pills. Okay. I do. I have to sleep. Like, yeah. and then I, if, if I wake up, I. I usually walk around until I, you know, go to the bathroom, walk around, try to keep myself busy, like maybe go on my phone, play a game, stuff like that. But, you know, nine hours, that's what I'm saying. I can do three hours. Yeah. I'm, when it comes to going to Italy and in Europe, my I can't. I just, I, I, I can't. And like, I feel so bad. So you released a series, uh, Secret Life of Lele Pons, that really chronicles all of this in a really vulnerable way what made you just want to put yourself out there like that i didn't i didn't i really didn't want to do the show but it got to a point that i just went to like you know intensive therapy and i met so many kids i didn't want to get treatment but then they would call me in and like when they would see me they'd be like what what is she doing here by knowing that i actually had the same things and i was going to treatment kind of pushed them to do it too and i was like wow that's imagine what i can do and I was like, you know, like this is the, a message that is strict, it's like close to my home. Like, I, you know, when you're when you're gonna be in social media and you're gonna give up a message, it has to be a message that you believe in truly and been, you know. So I was like, this is a message that I want to give. It's the first time that I'm actually like, let's say, I'm gonna be an influencer for real. For me, like to be an influencer, to be a content creator, you need to educate in one point of your life someone, you know, yeah. and change at least someone's life. No matter if the, if the rest of people hate you because you have a condition or everything, but if you help one person, isn't that what like we do? And I feel like in my career, I've done so many mistakes. I've done this and that. Never really given out a message that matters. So. And you feel like you did that here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, if I win a Grammy, it wouldn't be as close as to what I've done with the docuseries. Yeah. I can win anything. It's not the same. And I think it is important, you know, for people that are going through the same thing to hear it from someone like you. That's highly visible. They don't feel so alone. And that's the reason for this podcast. They don't feel alone. They just need someone to talk to. And sometimes you don't want to talk to your parents or your friends. You just need somebody outside to see their advice. Because sometimes, you know, parents and friends are like, oh, that's okay, blah, 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 you know. Or they get mad and judge you. So I want to talk about your podcast, Best Kept Secret on Spotify. It's really fun. Uh, I love the way... You interact with your callers. You're really genuine and non-judgmental, but you're also really honest and frank with them. Is there one caller recently that you really that sticks out? You know that you really remember. Uh, there's one call that's coming up. It's about this guy who had sex with his girlfriend in church, and the pastor caught them. But you know, I didn't judge. I said, you know, you know, it's wrong. Um, I love you. I don't care about PDA. I, I do it sometimes, you know, but that's taking it too far. Yeah. I'm going to be too honest with you, but it's okay. We learn from our mistakes and you were under God's eyes, I guess. That's true. <laughs> You're right under wow. God's eyes. And I was like, at least you didn't do it alone. At least you were with a, with your girl and like you guys 
can be together and talk about it. It's like now that you masturbate or something, you know, like, and then, yeah. Well, you know, obviously they like each other. So at least they have that going for each other, right? This couple. Keep it going. They must seem to really like each other. (laughs) So in advance of this call, our producers and I collected a handful of mini secrets that people send in about travel. And I was wondering if we could talk about them for a minute and kind of just like you do on your show, just break them down a little bit with us and and try to figure out, you know, right or wrong, not past judgment, but see just what we think about it. Would that be cool? Are you down for that? Yeah. Okay, so all these callers are anonymous for obvious reasons. Let's play the first one now. All right, so this is weird, kind of embarrassing, but almost every time I'm on an airplane, I go to the bathroom and masturbate. I don't know why. It's just something about airplanes. It's almost like a compulsion. But does this make me a bad person? I mean, it's kind of like joining the Mile High Club, but, you know, by myself. Right? <laughs> it's not wrong. Not wrong. It's 100% not wrong. Maybe she has a thing. Maybe she has a problem, but you know what? It's not wrong. I've done it. Not every flight, but I can tell you I've done it in my life three times. Well, I appreciate that, honestly. Because I'm serious. It's not wrong. Yeah. Well, you were talking about being on a plane and, like, you know, you have to get move around a little time. bit. <laughs> That's the time on a long flight. Yeah. I don't know. You're in private when you're in the bathroom, right? You can do whatever you want. As long as you're in private, exactly. Yeah. Maybe, maybe she has a problem. Maybe, maybe you, listen, when you have, when you, there's a, for girls, there's a, like a thing, like a tingling thing. And sometimes you can't even control it. And you're like, it's just annoying if I don't kind of like masturbate. It's, it's weird. It's a weird feeling. It's a weird feeling. I didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, interesting. So we, we give her a pass and we say that's okay on that one. Yeah, I say it's a pass, yeah. All right. I like that. Okay. Next one. All right. So I do a bit of traveling for work and I'm actually lucky enough to be put up in some pretty nice hotels all over the world. I was in France on a four-day business trip and my last night there, uh, I got really, really drunk with some coworkers. Uh, we were celebrating closing this deal. But I ended up passing out all sloppy and shitting the bed. I had no idea what to do. I had to leave. I was stressed out. So I just balled up the poopy sheets and put them with my used towels. What should he have done in that situation? I don't know. Take it. Take it with you. But you're going to take the poopy sheets in your, like, suitcase? Yeah, you you did that. It's your fault. Get another suitcase, put it in there because it's rude, and that's it. And throw it on the in the trash can, or grab it, go downstairs, throw it out. Yeah, I feel like I would throw it out. I wouldn't keep it as like a momentum. I don't know. No, though. I know. I don't, don't keep it. Don't, but take it out. I guess the question is, do you say something? Do you tell the hotel what happened? No, but I wouldn't say that. But I'll say something like my baby, or I would leave a huge tip. Yes, yes, that's the key there. I feel like I, I would, yeah, I would throw the sheet away. I wouldn't leave it there for someone to clean up because that sucks. I would probably just be like to the front desk, hey, like I messed up. I, I ruined the sheet and I threw it away. Like I'll give you like money for it or something. I know. You know what? Actually, actually I understand that, but it, I'm, I'm thinking about me since I'm someone that's well known. Yeah. I can say that. Ooh, that's true. That's, 
Yeah, and that's why I wouldn't do that. That's true, because then there would be like, you know, like a TMZ. Yeah, they can say it. Yeah. They have the right to say it. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> that's good. Well, that's different. So sometimes you're, you know, maybe like the advice you give isn't necessarily something that you would follow because your circumstance is a little different. Yeah. Yeah, yep. I get that. All right. Last one. So I was at a bachelorette party in Nashville with my soon-to-be sister-in-law. She's getting married to my little brother next year. Um, we've always gotten on really well. I've had no reason to doubt her before, but I'm almost positive she cheated on him um, that night. I'm not sure what to do. Do I tell my brother? Do I let it go? Do I confront her to try to confirm it? I need help. She knows for sure. Tell your brother. If she doesn't know, then don't. If she's not you 100% know? sure, you're saying just leave it alone? Mm-hmm. I know. Ask. Ask her. Ask around. Find out. Find out from other people. Find out. You'd be a detective. Mm, okay. Do a little detective work and try to dig dig to the core of that. Mm-hmm. Shit, that's tough. I don't know, because that's no, so awkward. I'm telling you right now, I was just in a party right now, and this, my God, he's going to regret this if he sees this podcast. <laughs> my cousin for me is like the most important person in my life. Me and my two cousins, my boy cousin. And this one, he's like kind of talking to this one girl. And this one girl has a boyfriend, but has him on the side. And I just, I can't stand it. Like, you know, when I, I just can't stand like someone kind of mistreating or not being right. Yeah. Uh, for a family member. So I literally, I was a little drunk. I literally tell my cousin's friend who was talking to her and I go, this is horrible. I was drunk. <laughs> Get this bitch the f*** out of here and away from my cousin. And then she was like, what? And I threw her away. Yeah. But then I regretted my cousin was just like, you can't do that. That's like I'm so rude. You were like a bitch. And I was like, honestly, I talked uh, from the heart, not the mind. And he was like, that doesn't make it better. <laughs> you know? I'm really sorry because I should have never said something. Nobody wants to hear that. But when it comes, and I don't know if people agree with this, but when it comes to your family, you would do anything to like protect them and not want them to get hurt. And he is hurt. So he tells me. So. It's a little different though. I mean, you, this is marriage involved. There's planning. That's why I think that's why yeah. he has to. It's better two minutes before than two minutes after. Okay. The wedding, you know? True. Because this is important. So best kept secrets on Spotify. There are more calls like this, really extended calls. Uh, is there anything else, Lily, that your fans or people want to follow you should be looking out for? Um, my new single is out, Setenota. And it's been uh, in top 50. It was, uh, the peak was top 23 in the world. That's for me, it's so beautiful and because this is such a hard time and if i can give them a little bit of like happiness and them to dance yeah i'm happy because i know how much music like when somebody puts out a song that i like that just when you go outside you drive that's the feeling is amazing also uh before i forget if anybody has a secret make sure to go to shots.com slash secrets so they can even you you can come in it's anonymous so i won't say who it is yeah but you might recognize my voice you're right <laughs> You're right. You're right. Uh, Lily, I don't have any secrets. I'm an open book, okay? Oh, great. <laughs> 
Check out Lele's music wherever you listen to music and subscribe to Best Kept Secret on Spotify right after you're done listening to this podcast. And don't forget, we have our own travel hotline, 1-833-POD-BABY. You can call in and leave us a voicemail about your own memorable travel experiences. Uh, we're going to collect a bunch and then play them all in an upcoming episode, and we'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, we're going to take another quick break, but stick around. We'll be right back. The Greek way of life is it's slower and you just accept that that is the way it is. Alexi Papas is a Greek-American runner. She represented Greece in the 2016 Rio Olympics and plans to do the same next year in Tokyo. She's also an actress, filmmaker, and writer. Her first book, Bravey, is being released this January. But earlier this year, while training in Europe for the now-rescheduled Olympics, the COVID pandemic forced her into a situation that actually brought her closer to her home away from home and gave her an experience she never could have expected or planned for. Here's her story. I think some of the best travel stories are the most unexpected ones. I actually got stuck in Greece for almost five months unexpectedly. And it was definitely the most challenging, but also the most like wonderful, unexpected trip that I've ever had in my life. I grew up actually in Northern California in the Bay Area. By birth, I'm dual citizen Greek American. And when an athlete is dual citizen, they will choose like an allegiance for the Olympics. And for me, I chose to run for Greece for a number of reasons. But one of them being that there are a lot of female mentors and role models in female athletes in the US and and it's phenomenal and I'm one of those women. But in Greece, what I found when I went over there was there are fewer female athletes like myself showing these other girls like what they can be. So for me, I think my impact is bigger as a Greek athlete. Before Rio, I went over there for about a month and trained in the mountains with this Greek team. And similarly, I had planned to go out there this past February and train for what I hoped would prepare me for the Tokyo Olympics. And this was before the Olympics was postponed. I think the gravity and the realness of COVID really hit me when I went out on a run and we needed to bring these permission slips with us. They were these government issued permission slips and I would tuck it in my hat with my ID. And I got pulled over by the police, which was common because you needed to have this permission slip. You know, being a dual citizen, but having spent most of my life in the US, I never considered that I would go over there for longer than a month at a time, and I never had before. And I actually got stuck in Greece for almost five months unexpectedly. So it was like full life transition, you know? The Greek way of life is, it's slower. Time, I mean, when my coach said he was going to pick me up at 8 a.m., it was anywhere between 8 and 8.30 a.m. That is the way it is. So that was an adjustment. People really value people time in Greece. And I think I am not used to having so much time with people and considering that as like, that's productive too. In such a short training camp environment, 
especially so close to a race, usually you'll be on the track a lot. You'll go to tracks. But because the tracks were closed due to COVID and because I was then stuck in Greece for several months, we ended up doing a lot of our hard training in the forest. We would drive from the city of Patras, which was a port city, out to the other side of, uh, it was like another coast and it was called Calogria Beach. And it was the Strophili National Forest, which is one of the biggest, I think it's the biggest forest in the Mediterranean. That was like, just, I felt like a little kid chasing an ice cream truck every workout. Cause you're just so free and open and the air is so clean and cool. As you're approaching farmlands of strawberries, watermelons, potatoes, start to transition into cows and other animals and little more country like farmhouses basically. And then suddenly the trees start to appear. These are not just any trees, they're umbrella pines, which I now am obsessed with. They're these tall pine trees with an umbrella for the, you know, for a hat, if you will. And they're like near mythical trees. They're everywhere and they're gorgeous. They're like the dark brown wood and the dark green pine needles and the smell of pine fills the air. And then you get out of the car and there's any number of trails you can take. We had our favorite path. It took us through these dirt roads, basically like fire trails so we could run three across and there were wildflowers everywhere and birds and basically the smell was a mix of pine and ocean because you were right next to the sea and you could go for miles and miles like we never we didn't explore even a small chunk of this forest and we had heard from our coach that there was this runner I think you know 30 years ago that like won everything and he did all of his training in this forest. And so we imagine that he's still in there somewhere living like a mythical man, you know? And so when we'd run there, it felt like we were being, we were joining a tradition and also adding to it because we knew this forest had been there for like forever, right? And it will be there forever, we hope. As an athlete, when you're running in a beautiful place, the pain feels less painful. You truly feel like lifted by your environment and by the like possibility of it all. And forests are such a place of possibility, right? Because there's, there's everything in there. And I remember one such day after our long run, we ran and we dipped in the sea, which we always did to recover. And then we drove around the corner and my coach's brother's house was around the corner and we got a whole lamb that we then cooked for Easter. And I was like, this could not be more Greek if I tried. And once I leaned in, I started to really enjoy what I now understand to be like the Greek way of life. It was one of the most magical feelings because I imagine that that forest is where like Greek myths were like actually born. And so I felt like I was a part of something that I would have never experienced if I didn't just lean in and go with it, you know?
For more stories from Alexi, pick up her new book, Bravey, Chasing Dreams, Befriending Pain, and Other Big Ideas. Wherever you buy books, there's also a link in our description. Just want to remind you all about our phone hotline, 1833-POD-BABY. We want to hear some of your best travel stories, and we might even play some of them on our show in the future. I swear it's a real thing. It's totally free. 833-POD-BABY. Give it a call. Check it out. This episode was made by producers Jake Rasmussen and Mia Fask. Thanks to Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Dan Byrne, Brett Kushner, Emily Felt, and from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Hadakudor. This episode was edited and mixed by Abby Austria and Dean White. You made it to the end, so I will leave you with a fun fact. As always, from 1912 to 1948, the Olympics actually had an art category with competitions in literature, music, painting, and more. You know, I am still holding out the Institute Competitive Podcasting for 2028. It's not too late. All right, see you next week with our guide to Austin. Bye.